Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. There you go. Sounds like you're awake now. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm a pastor here at LSQ and part of the best uh, staff in America. You can clap. There's no verse against it in the Bible. You know, I, I was a history major in college, and so one of the things that I kept was reading biographies, and one of my very favorite uh, biographies is about a poet uh, named William Cooper. It's actually spelt C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's pronounced Cooper, because that's the way English do things. Um, I like him for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is he had so many tragedies in his life, and yet he's produced some of the most beautiful poetry that we have. Uh, William uh, was a pastor's kid, and I have a heart for uh, pastor's kids because I have three of them of my own, but also our staff is literally filled with children of pastors. When Williams was just six years old, his mother passed away suddenly, and I can imagine—actually, I can't imagine—what a six-year-old must have felt when his mother died. Well, his dad, who was George II's personal chaplain, didn't know what to do with his two boys, and so he sent them off to boarding school, at, in Williams' case, at six years old. There he was made fun of and bullied and lived in torment of his fellow students. And when he graduated, his dad thought it would be a great idea to get him an, an apprenticeship in a law firm that he hated. Not just the law firm, but the law in general. And so as the closer he got to the bar, the more depressed he became. 
to the point where he thought that the only way out of becoming a lawyer was to kill himself. And so he tried and tried and tried. Eventually, he does pull out of this depressive uh, uh, state of his life and meets a girl at church that he falls in love with and gets so excited, her name's Theodora, to marry, but her father thought that William would not be a good match and forbade them to marry, which sent him back into a state of depression and more attempts at killing himself. His brother walked in on an an attempt where he uh, was hanging himself and saved him. And meanwhile, while he's going through all this, his dad dies. And he's transferred into the custody of his uncle, who puts him in an insane asylum because he didn't know what to do with him. It was there that this young pastor would visit named Unwin and shared the gospel of forgiveness for sins, including suicide. And he comes to know the Lord, and when he leaves St. Albans, which is this insane asylum, he goes and lives with the Unwin family who have no children. Then Unwin, the pastor, passes away. And the widow says, why don't you just stay living with me, even as she moves to another town called Olney, where the pastor is a man named John Newton. And in order to help William with depression, he takes him on visitation to visit widows and orphans, to get him to focus on something other than himself. Well, about 10 years in, John gets a promotion, if you think of it that way, and goes to London to be a pastor, leaving William, and he slips back into another depression, attempts suicide more times, and he wrecks his health and dies. Now, many will look at William's life and say that is a tragic story, that there's nothing good that comes out of him. But the truth is, you and I sing over 200 of his hymns in church. Between him and John Newton, the Olney hymns become so famous that it becomes the hymn book of England. John Newton speaks at his funeral, and he says this about his friend Cooper. He says, William was one of those who came out of great tribulation. He suffered much here in this life, but eternity is long enough to make amends for all of it. For all that he endured in this life is now healed and made up for. The last poem that William wrote that also becomes a hymn goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, he's talking about himself, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I tell you that story because I want to ask you a question. And the question is this, what do you do with your pain? What do you do when you suffer? Or when you see others suffer? 
What do you do with that? You and I have gone through probably the hardest two years in our lifetime for lots of different reasons. Loneliness, separation, illness, death. I mean, do you realize in the last two years, a million Americans have died of COVID? Not only is that true, but one of my friends just never, his wife could just never get out of COVID pandemic. And so she, this a past month, uh, committed suicide. It was just too much for her to take. Or you think about the Ukraine. Today, there are more ch- Ukrainian children living outside of Ukraine than live inside of Ukraine. Just stop for a moment and think about that. That the trains and the buses and the cars and the vans have carried more Ukrainian children to live outside of their homeland that now live inside their homeland. What that must be doing to those children, not to mention parents and singles and old people. I was reading this story about this older lady who was evacuated during World War II uh, because of the concentration camps, and she was Jewish. And so she had moved back into Poland after the war and stayed there. And here were people coming to ask her to leave again. And she says, I'm not leaving this time. You see, what William did with his pain is that he wrote hymns of lament. Psalm 6 is a lament by David about the sufferings and sorrows in his life. In fact, a a third of all the psalms are laments about suffering and pain and loss and hurt. And what David mentions here is how disorienting pain is to us. How it shapes and deforms our hearts and our feelings. And laments are ways to reorient our hearts even in the midst of that pain. In a lament, we cry out to God about what's going on in our lives that is wrong and hurtful. And we cry out to God because He wants to hear from us. This lament was originally meant to be sung and part of worship. We know that because who, David, who wrote this psalm, starts out and says, a shimeth, which is a Hebrew word for eighth. Eighth of what? We have no idea. We just know he was giving instruction to the choir master to how this is to be sung. What we do know that David is crying out to God over a season of his life filled with pain. This psalm is not only David's lament, but it gives us a paradigm for our laments. It teaches us that it is okay to be honest with God about our suffering, about what's going on in our lives and what is going on in our world, but it also tells us it's okay to talk to God about how we feel about it, even if it's not perfect in what we say. 
It shows us the way forward is to look back. The way of healing is to remember. It gives us a reason why we can trust God with our hearts. And so, in your mind, think of the paradigm in this way. We cry, we remember, and we trust in the midst of our pain. And so, first, the psalm teaches us that it is okay to be honest with God about what is going on in our lives and what we see in the world and how we feel about that. The opening verse says, Lord, do not rebuke me in my anger or discipline me in my wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? David does not minimize or sugarcoat how he feels about what is going on in his life at that moment. He's not just telling God what's going on. But, he's, but how it is affecting him. He's not just having a bad day. He's in despair. He says, my bones are in agony. We don't really walk around talking with that kind of flowery language. But literally what he's saying to us is that my suffering is rocking me to the core. It is causing in me pain of anguish, not just physical pain. Psalm 6 gives us permission to cry out to God about what is breaking our hearts. And truthfully, you and I can weep before God because He has wept before us. Let me say it again. We can weep before God because our God weeps too. And He has wept in front of us. Here's a quick uh, a Bible quiz. What is the shortest verse in the entire Bible? There you go. It's John eleven thirty five, and it says, he wept. He goes to the tomb of his friend, and there he weeps over the loss of his friend. Not just, matter of fact, the word there is agony. Not just because he's dead, but because death is taking him from Jesus. My friend who who lost his wife this month, they had gone through the pandemic. She had already struggled with the depression anyway. It just made it worse. And so he moved his whole family uh, close to other families that helped take care of his family, even as she struggled with her depression. But it just wasn't enough. Her lamenting wasn't enough for her. She wanted a healing, and the only way she could think about getting out was to end her own life. And it's been encouraging, if not heartbreaking, to hear him tell his story of lament. Because he cries, even inappropriately, before God about his wife and the mother of his children being taken away. You see, we think God can't handle the truth. We think God can't handle the unvarnished feelings of his people. We more agree with Jack Nicholson and a few good men, you can't handle the truth, than we do in the fact that God can handle the truth, including our poor articulation of it. Do you remember that story 
in uh, Horse and His Boy from uh, C.S. Lewis, where Aslan speaks to Shasta and says, tell me all your sorrows, not just the ones that you have victory and, and are happy that they're over. We can tell him even when partially responsible for the suffering and pain in our lives. We don't know exactly what's going on in David's life. The best we've been able to think that it could have been during the time when Absalom, his own son, rises up and leads a rebellion to kill him. Can you imagine? Your own son wants you dead because he wants your throne. What the anguish, not just because he was running and living in caves and relying on other people to feed him, that's bad enough, but to know that the person responsible is your own son. But listen to what David says. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger and discipline me in your wrath. David's not denying that he deserves God's discipline. He's just asking, God, when you bring me that discipline... Just don't do it in your anger. Do it in your love. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. A common question that we often ask in the midst of our own suffering and pain is what? How long? When's this going to end? David even asked that. He asked it twice. How long? How long? Don't you just hate waiting? I do. I, I think it's an attribute of us New Yorkers. We hate waiting. You ever notice if you go to a corner and there's a stoplight and, and the light turns green, they give them all of a nanosecond to move before they lay on the horn. Now, I grew up in a small town that had two stoplights. When we came to a stoplight and somebody was in front of us and it turned green, we did not lay on the horn. We just sat there because we thought, well, maybe they've got something more important to do than to go through that green light. We will wait even if it's going to turn red and green again. That is not a New Yorker. Meanwhile, we sit and wait. We wait. How long? I was feeling that a couple of weeks ago when we had our 200th school shooting since 2001. 200. 367 children have lost their lives in school shootings since 2001. How long? How long are we going to have to bury children who go to school when they feel that's the safest place on earth outside of home. And it's not. God does not tell us to grit our teeth, wear a fake smile, sing happy songs while our hearts are breaking. This would add insult to injury. Instead, he asks us to tell him 
about our pain. But not only are we to cry out to God, but we're to remember. I have this scar right under my chin. Most guys, I don't know if you've noticed, have the same scar. Maybe we all do the same thing. When I was about six or seven years old, I had a couple of friends over, and they were thirsty, and so I was going to get them a glass to get some water, and I jumped up on the counter because for whatever reason, we can't get them at six years old. So I got up there, and I, and you kind of jump off backwards, you know, to jump down. You know, I didn't turn around, and I jumped backwards, and the counter caught my chin right there. Busted it open, got six stitches. So that, there's one thing that scar does. It reminds me that at one time, I was wounded. But it also reminds me that I have been healed. Every scar that you and I have teaches us those two lessons. That we were once wounded, and they were once been healed. About 15 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she had a radical mastectomy. And so she carries the very scars on her body. But it reminds me, not only that she has a terrible wounding by the surgeons that sought to save her life, but a healing. How about you? When you look at your scars on your knees and your elbows and all the other parts of your body that have had surgeries or open wounds, do they remind you of those two things, those two realities? You've been wounded. And some are on the, what, outside that people can see. And some of them are inside. We heard this report this week about uh, sexual abuse. And it was, this is a startling statistic. Outside of military, in war zones, people who have been sexually abused have the highest rate of PTSD outside of military and war zones in the United States. And that's a phenomenal statistic. Think of all the tragedies that people have gone through. There are wounds that are inflicted on the outside, but there are also wounds that are inflicted on the inside. And David says, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me. Face me, see me, heal me. Why? Why can David cry out to God, heal me? Because of his steadfast love. Lamenting is an opportunity for us to not only tell God how we feel about the pain in our lives and the pain that we see, but it's also an opportunity to reorient our hearts toward Him, toward His unfailing love for us. My problem is not that I don't believe that God can end my sorrows and end the shootings in schools. I believe He can. My problem is do I believe that He will? And will he do it soon? My heart needs to be reoriented to a God who is not just sovereign, but is good and wills our good. Here's the point that the psalmist is making. The way forward through pain and sorrow is to look backward at his faithfulness. In these short 10 verses... The psalmist uses God's covenant-keeping, his promise-keeping name, Yahweh, 
eight times in your translation or the English translation, it's L-O-R-D in capital letters. When translators wanted it to translate God's promise-keeping name, Yahweh, which simply means I am, he, they translated it L-O-R-D and capitalized it so we know that's what the word is there. Why? Because the thing you and I need to know in the midst of pain and sorrow in that is that it won't always be this way. That God is going to make up for all the losses. That he's going to heal our brokenness and mend our heart that is in pieces. And that's where healing begins. In the proof, profound reorientation of, our, of the soul. That we have a good, good God. He is not a man that he should lie. Nor is he a son of man that he has to repent. Has he not spoken? And will he not do it? Remind yourself. Remind each other. That's what we forget. Upon what basis can we cry out to God to rescue us? Not because he owes us. Not because he's nice. But simply because he loves us. And that is the thing that we just don't get our minds and hearts around. The, the creator of the cosmos who never sleeps and is never caught off guard loves us. He does not merely tolerate us. He loves us. I love this artist. I met her in, in Annapolis. And she's getting older and she, it was time to clear out some of the old st stuff in her house and, and then included her china. But she noticed this common theme with her wedding china. They all had chips in them. And so, they're not really stuff you want to serve to guests. And, and so, she had this idea to smash her china. And she did. But she also noticed that mirrors over time began to lose their ability to reflect clearly. So, she took all the mirrors in her house and she smashed them. And she took all of these broken pieces and she made these beautiful creations. You see, this is what God is doing with the smashed up parts of our lives, which quite frankly, if we're honest, is our entirety. We just don't fully realize it yet. And he takes them and he weaves them into something beautiful. The one that I bought was an anchor. She had turned all of these broken plates and all of this broken mirrors and made an anchor because the Lord is the anchor of our lives. And who needs to hear that? But people who live in a storm. Well, let me give you a reason why we can share our wounds with God. Because our God has scars too. Did you know that about God? That God carries wounds. That our God has walked through the pain of this world and was wounded too. But here's the good news. His wounds heal. My wounds will not heal you. They're testaments to a healing, but they are not healable. God's are. How do we know that? Isaiah told us. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And he was held in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet he considered him to be punished by God, 
stricken by him and afflicted. Here it is. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that has brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Yes, the scars are proof that our lamenting is not in vain. After the resurrection, Jesus showed them his scars. Here's the truth. Jesus is in heaven with his scars forever. Forever. As testaments to not only the wounds that we placed on his body, but also of a healing for us. That's the good news. It's Jesus' beautiful scars that opens his heart to the cries of a six-year-old boy who loses his mother and hears the despair of the one who is being bullied by his friends. He's moved by the young man who cannot have one he loved. He is moved when his broken-hearted, this broken-hearted man loses everyone he's ever loved and kills himself. His wounds open his heart to the women and children of Ukraine who are confused and terrified as bombs fall on their homes. His wounds open his heart to a husband who's raising his children without their mother and his wife. We cry before him because he cried before us. We can trust him with our wounds because he carries scars from our wounding of him. His scars prove that we will one day be healed too. And that God is going to make up for all that we lose here. That's his promise. If he breaks that promise to you, then he is not God. We can trust him because he is not a man who lies or a son of man that has to repent. Has he not spoken? And will he not do what he has promised? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the scars on Jesus' hands and feet and side. It is in those wounds that we are reminded that we can bring before you every cry of our heart, every broken place in our lives, every hope and dream for a healing, to know that you are going to meet us there because you have been wounded too. And it is by your wounds we are healed. Father, we can cry out to you because you have cried in front of us about the losses and the brokenness and the terrible things of this world as the result of what man can do and has done. We thank you that though we cry out with how long, we can still be fully assured because you love us. For God so loved the world that he gave. It you didn't just give us something. You gave us your son. Where everybody will give anything but their children, you gave your son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, all to make us whole. 
and to put the pieces back together into something beautiful. Today, Father, let us see your scars and to see how beautiful they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.